For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome back. It is the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast. I am your host, Mike Apatria, joined by Harris Kamani. Here to break down this wonderful Thursday, seven games slate. It's February 24th. Coming out of the All-Star break with some heat. This slate looks fantastic. It's right in the wheelhouse, Harris. I think we always talk about it. You know, that like six to eight game mark is usually what our bread and butter is. Uh, we got right in the middle, man. We got seven games. We got players out. We got, you know, I mean, still things being affected by the trade deadline. Uh, and then we got injury news affecting the slate of, you know, what happened over the All-Star break when most people are, you know, either sitting at home or just kind of taking part in the three-point or slam dunk or whatever it may be, skills. Uh, players got rolled out in the meantime. But how are you, my friend? It's been an entire week since we last spoke. Yeah, no, it's been... Uh... Sometimes it's a little nice to get a little bit of a break in between what's a pretty busy NBA season. It's kind of weird the first uh, night or two where you're trying to like figure out what to do with your evening. But hey, uh, you start to figure it out. I got uh, got myself back into a little bit of gaming. Uh, Horizon came out over the last week, so I was like, all right, cool. I have a little bit of time over this weekend to actually get some get some gaming in. So I was happy to be able to do that. And then yeah, just, just some rest and relaxation, getting myself ready. And to get back on the NBA slate now, as of Thursday, I'm I'm good. I'm ready. I'm raring to go. Oh man, you don't don't apologize. It was fantastic getting a break. Uh, especially you know we're a seven day show, man. It's not very often that we get too many days off out here. And just to kind of be able to sit back, relax, get rejuvenated, watch some of that All Star Weekend, which by the way, all of our calls were absolutely terrible. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say let's uh, let's not talk too much about those. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, we were all. I was hoping for the out to the Cooper brothers. I think you said the rookie. So there we go. We both lost there. I think we both had Jalen Green winning the dunk. Uh, yeah. He was literally the worst one in the dunk contest. With a, I think he had 11 misses on the first yeah. attempt. Although I will say that it's one of those where I think if he had done that second dunk first, he would have been able to like get himself going and actually been good. Because honestly, the rest of the dunkers, like Obi Toppin has absolutely no force on his dunk downwards. So it's just not exciting whatsoever to watch i do think jalen green could do it he just needs to come back and uh, come with a better plan yeah it looked like nobody had any sort of plan coming into this was literally the worst dunk contest and i'm not the only person that said this and i will jump on the bandwagon when i do say it was terrible uh it was it was boring to watch it took everybody about six attempts to actually get their dunks uh i mean it was let off terribly like cole anthony a shouldn't be in the dunk contest and b like Dude, it took you like 15 minutes just to get your boots on, to do your dance, and do everything. Like it was, I was falling asleep by then. Uh, the skills contest I thought was pretty cool, though. That was always fun. That's always fun to watch. It was yep. a competitive one. Garland just beast it though. Yep. Him and him and Mobley, both just freaks. Uh, but that's enough. That's All Star Weekend, man. That's in, that's in the rearview mirror. That's in the past. We have a slate to start with. 
And I think no better way, the segue, the first game involves Cleveland. Cleveland traveling to Detroit, taking on the Pistons. And with as much as I just said about Garland, he's out. He was able to compete, but that back injury is still bothering him too much to play. So him, Karis LeVert, Colin Sexton, Dylan Wynn, they're all ruled out. Laurie Marketing is probable. So he is coming back. And then for the Pistons, uh, Saban Lee, Chris Smith, Jamarco Pickett, Luca Garza, Frank are all rolled out, and then Frank Jackson is probable. As of right now, this game is coming in with a total of 213.5. And, and then we have the Cavs favored by 7.5 points. I will pass it over to you. Talk about Cleveland. Yeah, and the Cleveland situation is just interesting all the way through because, as you said, Garland is out, Lavert is out, Markinen's questionable, but really the vast majority of the shot buffet is sitting out. So, the rest of these price tags actually become quite interesting with that. Uh, just starting from the bottom going up, Chetty Osman at 4,000 just instantly popped out to me as soon as all of this comes out. Because we've seen as soon as he gets an opportunity in which he's going to be playing 30 minutes, he's likely going to be putting up anywhere between 15 to 20 shots. Regardless of how efficient he is, how effective he is on that, he's going to get his shots up. And in those games, we've seen his, his capability to be able to be close to that 40 DK point mark. You look at his last uh, you know, last couple of games in which he had the opportunity to shoot anywhere more than like 12 times. He's hit about anywhere between 25 to 38 DK points in each of those games. So at 4,000, definitely a guy who's just right in play for me. I expect him to be uh, the one to take the second most shots on this team, only lagging behind Evan Mobley, who we just talked about in this All-Star Weekend was just an absolute monster there. And he's just coming into his absolute own. I think at 7,000, the fact that his price tag is also a little bit cheaper than a uh, Jared Allen just makes it that much more interesting to me to be able to go ahead and get him in. Obviously coming off a monster game before the break as well. And there's been just super consistency all the way through with him. And I think at that 7,000 mark, you kind of get the benefit of the fact that his floor has been pretty much at 35 DK points for like the vast majority of this whole of this new year. So I think that's just a great spot to be able to get him in. And that dual forward to center eligibility also gives him a little bit of versatility of where you want to fit him into your lineup. Yeah, perfectly said. I think I think when you're looking at Mobley, excellent option, 7K, great matchup, more shot attempts, everything goes with him. We know he always has the stock upside that steals and blocks. Uh, and I also, you know, I don't, I don't mind taking stabs at a guy like, you know, um, I'm sorry. Now name slipping mind. Um, Okoro Chetty. Rondo, one of those. No, yeah, no, Chetty Osmond. No, no, Chetty. Um, I don't know where he's going to play. That's my only issue because now with you know we know that Kevin Love pretty much has that sixth man role locked up, where he's playing a little bit of the four, a little bit of the five, and now with Mark in back, I mean Chetty was mostly getting those wing minutes, whether it was at the two or the three. And now marketing coming back is definitely going to eat into the minutes. And really what we're, what I'm focusing on uh, is who's going to be playing point. And, you know, whether it's Brandon Goodwin that starts or whether it's Rondo, I think Rondo's in play regardless. Just him coming off the bench, he's still going to play at least 25 minutes is what I imagine. There's a chance he starts and plays 30-plus. Uh, or they could go back to this Goodwin starting, and then I think Goodwin and Rondo are in play. So I want to keep my eye on that. We'll have the news. It's the first game. It's a standalone 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time game. But I think targeting the the point guard position and then looking at who you know a guy like Mobley is probably where I'm going to limit it. Again, I don't fault you for going to Osman. Uh, I've been burned by the dude too many times. I've played him a bunch, but you're right. If he does get the minutes, this dude is going to chuck. So I'm probably just going to look at him in tournaments. I don't know if I can just trust it in my like cash or my single entries. 
Uh, I want to go where I know the minutes. Are, and this is a great slate. We talked about it. So I don't want to overinvest into this one game, but I think targeting bit one, maybe two people max, is probably going to be my approach. Uh, on the other side of the ball, I think we have options over here too. I think everybody is kind of priced appropriately. I think Cade Cunningham coming in at 6,600. Talk about a guy who could just shoot 15 to 20 times. Uh, that's too cheap for him. 6,600. I don't mind staring at Cade. And I think Grant is probably the only other guy I'll look at at 5,900 who, again, a little bit too cheap for what we've seen Grant do over the past season. Uh, put up 36.5 before going into the break against Boston. Outside of that, it's kind of been a little lackadaisical. It's up and down performances. Sometimes he's getting you 18. Sometimes he's getting you 25 to 30. Uh, I imagine with this matchup, though, they're going to need him on the floor as much as possible. But I think Cade is probably still going to be my favorite option on this team and more or less probably the only guy I really end up looking at. Yeah, that's fair. Kate is definitely on the top of this uh, Detroit team for me. But I was going to say overall, in general, the price tags have fallen to a point where I actually like a number of these guys coming in. I mean, I'm looking at my player pool list over here. I had four of guys actually listed on here, depending on how things work out. I mean, Sadiq Bey, it's hard to just argue how well he has been playing as of late. Of course, you get the off and on games with him. But as a GPP guy for a guy who's in the 6,000s, he hasn't had a game below 30 DK points in his last four, with three of them being 40 or above, one even reaching the heights of 50. So you know you can get that kind of a game from him. Again, a matchup that is quite excellent. Cleveland is missing out a number of their main guys. So you'd expect that Detroit is able to keep this at least somewhat closer compared to some of the other matchups that they've found themselves in. But even more so than that, I'm, I'm going deeper down. I think Kelly Olenek in general has just been working his way back into the rotation and into what minutes he should be getting. I'm not saying that he's a smash grab or anything at 3,600, but for a guy, honestly, he just needs 20 minutes to be able to hit his DK points very consistently. And despite his minutes being literally like 17 or less with one 20-minute game in his last four, he still has had 20-plus in the three of those four games. So as a GPP dart throw, I really do like him. I think his offense is going to be needed quite a bit on this Detroit team. And then we've talked about Jeremy Grant a million times over. This is one of those things where he's just too cheap for how important he should be to the uh, to the offense of the Detroit Pistons. Even if he's getting up 13 to 14 shots a game, which has been pretty consistent, you're really looking for his ancillary stats to try and uh, get back some of the normalcy. Like it's not normal for him to be at you know two rebounds a game or one rebound and no assist the game. Like those ancillary stats haven't been there. Plus he's always been great as far as stocks are concerned. So it's just one of those where he just needs to get back to normal. His price tag is reflecting the fact that he has been inconsistent, but I just think there's a lot of upside to like on these Detroit guys and I'm finding that a number of them will work out into my lineups. I can't fault you, man. It's good value. And we're going to know all that news prior to the slate locking, which makes you feel a little bit more comfortable with it. All right, we'll move on to the next game. Boston Celtics traveling to Brooklyn. This is a 7:30 Eastern standard time game. Uh, for the Nets, we'll start off here. Uh, Goran Dragic, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, all ruled out. Uh, we do actually do not have an injury report just yet for Boston, but we know that Marcus Smart should be returning. Uh, the news came out earlier that they're expecting Smart and Robert Williams to both play, which is the, the important stuff. I mean, we don't really need to care too much about anything else. As of right now, this game looks like it is coming in with a total of 213.5. And the spread is going to be two points favored to the Celtics. So I will pass it over to you. Talk about Boston. Looks like they're going to have their entire lineup and team back. Who sticks out the most to you? Yeah, and that entire lineup being back probably takes away a lot of the shine of the expected upside that you have gotten from a number of these guards. I mean, between Derek White and Marcus Smart, those like if one of them was out, the other one was definitely like absolutely smash play for me. I think Derek White is probably the more consistent of the two. And since he's come in, he's gotten 
himself just so involved with all parts of the offense on there. But again, I just think in general, the upside is just really capped when all of these guys are there. And you just don't know where on that given night you're going to see that uh, minutes spread and more importantly, the usage spread out of the ancillary guys. Because you know uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are going to get theirs, but like the Al Horford game that happened last time around, you know, he got 34 minutes in that game, didn't necessarily shoot a lot, but he was hyper-efficient. And more importantly, he was the one handling more of the ball. He's likely going to get less of that now with Derek White and Marcus Smart there. But at 5,700, you know, that's always a legitimate spot, especially given the fact that the Brooklyn team is going to likely have guys that are going to struggle to be able to keep him kind of away from the perimeter. And he can really feast on that because the Claxton wouldn't want to chase him out there. LaMarcus won't want to chase him out there and neither will a Blake Griffin. So it's a good matchup for him to be able to exploit. And I think the price tag kind of allows you to have a little bit of upside there as well. But by and large, I just think these guys are priced appropriately for when one of them is out. So overall, I just think they're a bit overpriced. And apart from Horford and maybe Derek White, I'm kind of avoiding most of these guys. Yeah, honestly, if I'm if I'm a betting man, which I'm not really, I like DFS. It's, it's a skill-based game, uh, according to most states. <laughs> uh, I would take the Celtics minus two every day of the week. Uh, Brooklyn, I'm expecting them to get duped on. But I think the only guy that really stood out to me would be Robert Williams because, you know, Brooklyn struggled against opposing centers night in and night out. I get it. They got the size and Drummond in there now. But Drummond's not a very good defender himself either. And Robert Williams should be able to hold his own against this team pretty easily. We know that he has the ability just to, again, rack up rebounds and stocks. Not a huge offensive-minded player. But does he really come into play outside of GPPs for me? Because there's a lot of centers on this slate that are cheaper that I like. So I, that's really the only guy that really stood out to me. And knowing that the game could get out of hand very quickly uh, has me not wanting to pay up on Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum either. Uh, if I had to go with one of them, it would be Brown just because there's a, a significant gap in price, but I'm really not all too interested in any of those guys. Uh, on the other side of the ball, yeah, there's going to be plenty of usage, plenty of minutes to go around. I'm probably going to stay away from the center position entirely and just go back to the well with the guys I've been playing. If anything, it's going to be Seth Curry and Cam Thomas. Pretty much that's it. That's where I'm going to draw the line. If you want to look at Aldridge at 4,800, I wouldn't fault you there just because we know his role is going to be significantly you know, right in between that 22 to 25-minute range most nights. And you can easily pay off that $4,800 price tag, but then you're costing yourself a center position. And I don't think I need to do that for a guy that I don't think he has like 40-point upside in this matchup. So uh, I probably won't end up going there. Probably just be those two guards. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, Curry and Thomas were the two major ones that I was looking at. Uh, Aldridge stays in the price in the price range where he can probably hit 5x pretty consistently. But as you said, the upside is just not all that sexy to be able to go ahead and uh, throw out onto that. So yeah, I'm with, there with you. I'll be taking Curry and Thomas. But then uh, I actually am a little bit interested in what they end up doing with Bruce Brown. I still do think that he has good upside for his current price tag as well. I'm not a huge fan of the fact that it's up like right at that 5,000 ish mark, but if he's going to be playing 35 minutes, 38 minutes as he has in two out of the last three games, you know, he's got that capability to be able to just get you that all around stat line. So it's just something that is of interest. Uh, but by and large, I think those two major guards are going to be where you go. All right. Third game, 7 PM Eastern standard start time, Atlanta Hawks traveling to Chicago taking on the Bulls for the Hawks. John Collins is doubtful, but I think he actually got ruled out. Uh, and then Gorgie, Dang, Sharif Cooper, both those guys are not playing. And then for the Bulls, Lonzo, Caruso, Tyler Cook, Patrick Williams, all ruled out for a game line in Vegas spread. Looks like this is going to be favored to the Bulls by four points. 
And the game total is coming in at a 234 and a half. So nice whopping game total. I believe that is the second highest on the slate that we have available at the moment. So there's going to be some fancy options in here that we're interested in, but I'll let you start talk about the Hawks. Yeah. And from us talking before we went on air about guys that just stood out for being essentially underpriced, Bogdan Bogdanovich continues to be that. It's just one of those where clearly, I don't know, DraftKings is taking, their algorithm is taking time to be able to go ahead and get adjusted. But frankly, anything in the 5,000s is way too cheap for a guy who may not necessarily be putting up, you know, high 30s as far as his minutes total is concerned, but his usage has just gone way up in the last little bit. It's plain and simple. They've realized that him with the ball in hand is far more important, especially as a six man. So he is 100% kind of the top play for me as far as Atlanta is concerned. And then the other side, I just think Clint Capella is in a great matchup for him to be able to finally kind of get himself back on track. Uh, his minutes have been kind of up and down, but he had 30 minutes and two out of the last three, kind of got burned in that Orlando game. We're taking him w- with a hope there too. But, you know, that game was a blowout. I'm less concerned about that here. As you said, four-point spread. I do think he's going to be more needed in uh, in the entire lineup, especially to handle uh, Avucevic, while also kind of throwing him a little off-kilter with his speed. So he's someone I'm interested in. As you said, John Collins, uh, he's been doubtful for a little bit. I actually, there's concern that his foot could be a more lingering injury, just like we found out today about Nurkic, and we're going to speak about that later. And it's going to cost him at least a month as well. So I don't know when John Collins is going to be back, but until that happens, I do believe Capella is going to feast. And then at the other end of it, I think Okongwu at uh, 3,600 is also someone who is in play as a GPP pivot as well. Yeah, I, I love Capella. Uh, 5,800, you know, a little risky to trust in cash. I get it. The minutes could be up and down. Uh, I'm right there with you, though. I think the game stays close. Uh, you know, a guy that's played, you said it, 30 minutes and two out of the last three games. We're coming out of an all-star break rate a week off. Sign me up. Uh, this, this just has like 30-plus minutes, I think, written all over it. And I'm willing to take the chance. At 5,800, I'm going to have shares of Capella. He's one of those centers I was talking about earlier where the reason I probably won't get to Robert Williams, even though it's a great matchup for him. This is a great matchup for Capella. Bulls have been terrible against opposing centers. Uh, if they need to get the 30 minutes out of them, I would imagine this is you know, one of those 18.14 rebound games from them. Sign me up. Uh, I do like Capella a lot. And then you said it. I like Bogdanovich, and I think I'll take stabs at Gallinari as well as long as John Collins is out and the minutes are up. Give me some Gallinari at 4,400. Hasn't done a whole lot outside of that you know, game against Cleveland um, where he put up 33.25 DK points on 25 actual points. But you're talking about a guy that is going to have a significant role um, and he's going to be playing, I get a great matchup. The Bulls, as bad as they've been against centers, uh, they've been pretty bad against opposing power forwards as well. So I'll probably not pair those two together, but I'll look to have at least one of those guys in each of my lineups. Uh, On to the Bulls side of the ball. We're looking at two of their studs coming in at 10K plus and then Zach Levine coming in at 8,700. Now, with all the studs healthy, it's tough to pay those price tags. I get it. DeRozan has been breaking records with this 35 actual point streak. Uh, he may continue the streak right into tonight. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's a fantastic matchup. It doesn't get much better. They go against Atlanta. He's averaging 48 DK points against them. But even getting 50 isn't enough at 10-7. So I'll probably take a pass on him. I'll probably take a pass on Vooch. I'd rather play Capella for, what, 4,300 cheaper? So it really just leaves me with the guards, and I'm always for targeting opposing point guards going against Trey Young. So I don't love that Kobe White price tag. I just don't. 6700 feels a little bit too expensive. At 63, I'd maybe 62, I'd be a little bit more inclined. But it wouldn't shock me if he puts up a big game. 
That's all I'm saying because uh, Trey Young can't guard me at this point in this stage of his career. So Ao and looking at you know Dasumnu and uh, Kobe White, I think those are probably going to be the two primary options. Outside of that, I don't see myself going to much of anything. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And you know, looking at both uh, Dasumnu and White, it was pretty much do I want these guys or would I be more inclined to take the two Brooklyn guys and Curry and Thomas for not only cheaper price tags, but frankly, they're probably a little bit more upside as far as you know, their usage and probably their shot totals are concerned as well. I mean, these guys are fourth and fifth options on the Chicago side, just makes that a little bit less exciting. I do think Zach Levine at 8,700 is uh, somewhere that I may potentially be interested. Obviously, it's his first game back. Uh, he had uh, you know three games off before the break in which he had uh, some concerns about his knee, but he's saying he's completely good now. He's going to be uh, coming out all guns, you know, all guns blazing. I do think at 8,700, you've got a decent amount of upside for him to be able to drop a 50. It's just one of those things where Levine kind of has to get himself going. He looked pretty good in the all-star break. So, you know, that's probably the one area of Chicago I may potentially be interested in just to uh, take a stab at Levine if everything else works out as far as my lineups are concerned. But as you said, DeRozan, uh, 10-7. The fact that he doesn't shoot threes will always limit his uh, capability to be able to put up big, big nights unless he is shooting continuously 50, 50 plus percent from the field. and you know, having seen DeMar for years and years and years, yeah, he can get hot and he can get hot in a streak and keep it going for a month or something like that. But once he gets going and then falls off, it falls off like off a cliff. So it's one of those where I'll keep taking it on the chin, much like you've done with Morant and all these other guys. But yeah, DeMar at that price, avoid, have some in Levine and then otherwise look at the Brooklyn guards instead of the Chicago ones. Did you did you happen to catch that uh, that clipped moment where Luca came up to him at the All Star break, went up to him and, and asked him like, "Do you ever miss from the mid range?" And he's <laughs> he's just like, "No." He was like, uh, you know, nineteen yeah. out of twenty in game. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, man, you, you paved the way with that mid range game. Uh, while everyone else said it was inefficient, he's uh, showing other people why it's not. But I'm right there with you. Uh, nice segue with the Morant because now we're talking about Memphis traveling to Minnesota. There you go. I like that. I'm we planned there. that, guys. We planned it. Uh, Memphis traveling to Minnesota. This is an 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time game. For the Grizzlies, Dylan Brooks and Tyrell Terry are ruled out. And then for the Grizzlies, they are good to go outside of Leandro Balmaro, who's in the G League. We'll look at a game total for this game. And it looks like, as of right now, it is coming in at the highest, a 239 game total. And then the spread looks like that we're going to see the Grizzlies favored by only one point. So back-to-back monster fantasy games. Talk about the Grizzlies. Yeah, and Memphis and Minnesota has always been one of those matchups that I circle every year. It's always such a fun match on both sides. Young talent just going absolutely at each other, and they've had... A lot of like underrated classics over the last couple of years. So I'm actually looking forward to this game from a real life perspective alongside the fantasy one. Uh, look, John Morant at 10-4, I can, I can never fault anyone for being able to take him. I like him more when he's sitting in that 9,000 range because then I'm, I think he's slightly underpriced for what he should be. This is the right price for what John Morant should be. So that kind of caps a little bit of his upside. Of course, he can still absolutely go off on you and drop 70 DK points as he did in the last game before the break. But at that point, you are now risking that same kind of problem that I have with uh, Demar at that price tag. He just needs to be shooting a lot and a lot efficiently for him to be able to hit that price tag because he's also never going to be a big three-point shooter. Yes, his assist total is usually there to help you out a little bit as far as uh, his kind of entire stat line is concerned, but there's just a lot missing for me to like him as a stud for that price tag. 
On the other hand, I do like Desmond Bain, and I've continued to like him throughout, as I spoke about in the last game against Portland coming in. It's just one of those where he needed to get right. He has been, to me, outside of John Moran, the most important player on this Memphis team, the reason why they've become this good as far as his offense is concerned. It's been absolutely required. He hit 7 of 12 three-pointers in the last game for them, looked like he was back into it. And the fact that he's got 40-plus in two of his last three uh, three games, 6-600 is just way too cheap for a guy that's that important to the team's offense, especially on a game that's going to be this high octane and going to be this close. So definitely looking at him. And then in general, it's hard to avoid what Brandon Clark's been doing. Just I, I don't love the fact that his minutes total has not been like in the high 20s consistently. He's, he's gets to that 22 to 24 minute mark, which still has been more than enough for a guy who's just so high velocity, high energy. He's able to grab boards in a hurry. And he hasn't had a game below 24 DK points in his last six games. So that, that just tells you that his floor has been incredibly secure. He's been playing really, really well. And I do believe that he's going to continue to see his role increase as the year goes on. It just fits a lot for their lineups um, at the expense of someone like a Steven Adams. So I am in on him for 5,100 as well. He's one of the guys I really like as a forward. I honestly don't love anybody from Memphis. I, th- I think Devin, De- uh, Devin, Desmond Bain is the only player that I had my eye on just because he's so consistent and he also has that upside. The price is pretty much appropriate, 6,600. I think between that 65 and 7K is where I consider him. Anything outside of that, uh, I have to play him if he's too low. And then if he's over 7K, I think he's, you know, you can avoid him pretty comfortably. Uh, he's going to burn you in once in a while with the hot shooting night. But he's really the only guy I had any interest in despite this high game total. Um, on the Minnesota side of things, I don't want to play Cat at 98. I just think that that's pretty much an appropriate price tag. I think anything less than 10 is when I consider him. And with all the other centers that we have talked about and we will talk about, I don't see myself going there. I think for the most part, it's going to be the guards between Russell, Edwards. Uh, both those guys are, I think, a little bit too cheap. I think Edwards should probably be around that 8K mark. And Russell, 79 to 8K mark would feel a little bit more comfortable. So they're both a little too cheap. Russell's actually cooked the Grizzlies this season for a tune of 46.7 DK points average in three games. Now, averages aren't always the best thing to go by necessarily uh, because that could have, I know he had one monster game against them. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he had one of those, like uh, it was like a 70 or 60 DK point game against them. If I'm not mistaken. And then one dud one um, haven't, haven't done the research on it. I'm just trying to go off memory. And then Edwards at 7,500. We know this dude's just a young pistol that he is not afraid to shoot when he's hot. He's hot. He's coming off of that injury where he ended up playing, uh, which shocked me after he rolled his ankle. But, that nice week off, if he played in that last one, he should be good to go. So those are the two guys I have my primary focus on, and I wouldn't even mind throwing in a little bit of Patrick Beverly at 5K. You know that anytime there's an electric point guard on the other side of the ball, they're going to use Pat Bev for significant minutes. So those are the three guys that I would consider in this matchup. Outside of that, though, I really just didn't have a ton of interest um, in spending up on Cat or even going to Vanderbilt in this type of matchup. Fair enough. So I was going to say, actually, on the, on the sneaky side, my one of my favorite value plays is coming out of this game, and that's in Jaden McDaniels. Uh, you spoke about J- Jared Vanderbilt, but it's been McDaniels that's been consistently poaching minutes away from him and finding himself in all these different lineups to be able to get himself to that 30 minutes mark consistently. He's gotten that in all three of his last games, including a 37-minute game high. His field goal attempts are consistently going up as well. And I mean, the last two games, they're 40 and 31 DK points. More so than that, it's just 
again, as a guy who loves watching Minnesota, I always want him to do well. Cat's my guy. But I think Jaden McDaniels is clearly showing that he is deserving of more minutes over a Jared Vanderbilt. And you can see the rotation is slightly moving towards that. Vanderbilt's getting pulled a lot earlier in the matchups. McDaniels being pushed into a lot more of those uh, three and four positions to be able to fit while they have either of Russell or Edwards sitting. So in general, he's just finding himself into a lot of different lineups because of his versatility. And at that price tag, I think he's just way too cheap, way too cheap for everything that he's shown so far. And I can't see a situation in which he's not at least getting 20. So at 3,600, I think that's an absolute chalk pick as far as I'm concerned. And the rest of the guys that you're on, I'm absolutely with that as well. Cat, usually I'd be on, but given the other guys on the slate, I'm probably going to end up avoiding on this one. But yeah, McDaniels is definitely in play big time for me. All right, we'll move on to the fifth game. Another 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time game. Phoenix Suns traveling to OKC to take on the Thunder for the Thunder. We have Lujens Dort, Ty Jerome, Mike Muscala, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Kenrich Williams all ruled out. Shea looks like he is going to be good to go for a return. And then for the Suns, as we know, Chris Paul dealing with that avulsion fracture, going to miss the next six to eight weeks. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, Campaign, Dario Saric all ruled out as well. Uh, the spread caught me a little off guard, but I guess this has a lot to do with Chris Paul. It is only seven and a half, which I think if Chris Paul is playing, it would probably be 13 or 14. But only seven and a half points right now uh, in favor of the Suns. And then the total is coming in at a 213 game total, which I imagine might be a little higher than that in, in a real life perspective. Uh, but I'll pass it over to you. Talk about the Suns, uh, you know, who you're looking at. And then I guess who's going to step up for Chris Paul being out. Yeah, and it's going to be a big void to fill, especially because they're not only missing Chris Paul, but they're also going to be missing Campaign, who would be their backup point guard, or otherwise starting now. So really, it's going to be Booker who's going to get the opportunity to be point Booker again. And we've seen him do that a number of times throughout the season. In fact, as close as uh, that uh, Houston game in which he dropped uh, eight dimes as well. So it's just been a guy that if, when you've seen in games that he starts as a point guard, he averages close to seven assists a game in those ones as well. So I think for anything less than 9,000, I mean, you've been seeing it in the last three games here, even with Chris Paul there, he'd been consistently above 40 in each of those games. And I just think that he's got a great matchup here. Uh, OKC, I'm actually quite surprised on a personal level that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is coming back. But what that does mean is that OKC is clearly not just going to lie down and uh, just tank the rest of the season. They are still looking to play it out, which means that SGA always keeps things close. That's great for Booker. I'm definitely all in on him as far as his price tag of 8800 is concerned. The other area which is of interest to me, and this is probably going to be more about them announcing who's going to start it's Aaron Holiday so if Aaron Holiday does get the opportunity to be in the starting five as far as Phoenix is concerned he definitely comes into play for me at 3700 I think that's a great price that way we've spoken about it a million times anytime you get an opportunity to have a guy start for you at 4000 as a point guard meaning he's gonna get at least you know 15 to 20 percent as far as usage is concerned just a great spot to be able to go in and then it's all about the shots uh, Cam Johnson is probably my favorite of those like 4000 area that we've always spoken about as far as Phoenix is concerned. In general, I think he's the best shooter on this team, not named Evan Booker right now. So just in general, I expect him to be able to get somewhere close to you know, 10 to 15 shots a game without a problem, which makes his price tag at 4,300 pretty good for him to be able to beat just on his shooting alone, even if his ancillary stats aren't always something to write home about. Yep, I am right there with you. I do love me some Devin Booker. I will have plenty of shares of Devin Booker. He will be chalky with no Chris Paul, but 8,800, the dude's averaging almost 60 DK points against OKC this season already. Sign me up. I think I love DeAndre Ayton. He's another one of those centers that's less than Robert Williams and some of these other guys like Vucevic that we talked about already. 
towns where I'm going to have plenty of shares of, of DeAndre Ayton. Uh, there is no about, doubt about that. And then I think looking at the guy, it's confusing looking at who's going to actually pick up the minutes when it comes to Chris Paul being out because, you know, your mind says Aaron Holiday, he's the point guard. They traded for him. Um, there's still also Alfred Payton. There's still also Landry Shamet. where if they're going to be running point, you know, Devin Booker, they might just end up going with Shamet, who's a guy that we've seen draw spot starts uh, several times already this season. So we're going to have to keep an eye out on that starting lineup. I think Holiday is the safe bet at 3,700. Um, I just don't – I don't know. If, if there's going to be Chalk Holiday, I'll probably avoid it just because I don't think his ceiling's all that high where I'm going to be crazy interested, and I'll rather take a play on the ownership when it comes to that. But I think looking at the two studs when it comes to Booker and Aiton, and then like you said, I think Cam Johnson at 43 is another guy who routinely plays mid-20 minutes. But anytime anybody sits, it doesn't matter what position it is, they find a way to get him 30 minutes. So that's the only reason with you know with knowing that they're going to have some Peyton, they're going to have some some uh, Shamet, and they're going to have Cam Johnson. I don't know if Holiday necessarily plays 30 plus minutes, and he's not going to be a high usage player nonetheless either way. So I think you know Booker, Aiton. And then Cam are going to be my main focus. And then whoever draws a start, obviously, is probably going to get the bigger boost. Um, but I wouldn't fault you if you wanted to go to Holiday because I think he's pretty securely at at least 25 to 26 minutes regardless. On the OKC side of the ball, Shea's back, 8,900. We don't know the minutes workload. I'm assuming he's going to be able to play a full complement. If this game stays close, it's going to be because of Shea. There's none, nothing else to say. If the game gets out of hand, Shea's probably not playing much more than 24 to 25 minutes. Um, GPP worthy. I don't think I would go anywhere else outside of that, but I think I prefer him over some of these other guys like a John Morant for much cheaper. So I do like Shea. I don't think I'll be playing Giddy at 8,400 with Shea back in there, taking some usage, taking some ball handling. I'm all set with that price tag. And then I want to look at who's going to really play the three. Is it going to end up being Trey Mann? Is it going to be uh, Wiggins? Those are the two guys that kind of stick out the most. If it's Wiggins at 3,600, Worst pump plays you can do. Don't mind that. And then Roby's actually been playing significant minutes and getting a decent workload. Before going into the break, he played 29 minutes, took 19 shots against San Antonio. Does he draw the start at center? So there's a lot of question marks with this team that we just don't necessarily have the answers to just yet. But I think, you know, if you're if you're going to play a decent amount of Phoenix, you're going to want to run it back with some people. And I think either Shea, Roby, and whoever's going to start at that three is the guys that would pique my interest the most. I think you hit the nail on the head exactly there. I was actually all excited to talk about Giddy, three uh, triple-doubles coming into this, and then Shea just rugged me. He's coming back and he's taking away all the shine from Giddy, and at 8,400, as you said, he's going to go ahead and avoid that price tag. Although his usage may not drop off as much as he, as much as may have otherwise been because of the fact that Lou Dort is also going to be out for... I hope not so, so long because I have him in a couple of my uh, season-long fantasy things, but his shoulder is clearly not uh, not back to where it needed to be. They said he was going to be back after the All-Star break, but you know, two, out two games before that and still continues to be out without a timeline. So just his like near 20 shots a game continue to be distributed around. So I think Trey Mann is still very much in play, as you said. I probably won't get up 20 field goal attempts or maybe even 16 field goal attempts as he had in his last two games. But if he can still get to that 30-minute mark, he'll probably find himself in the low teens as far as that's concerned, which is not bad as far as his price tag is there. But yeah, by and large, Shea, I, I want to play Shea. I just don't know how many minutes I can trust him to play, given the fact that you know Booker is 8,800 and he'd probably be my guard pick. And otherwise, if we're talking about you know other guards, we've already spoken about the Seth Curry, Cam Thomas situation. We even talked about Cade. So, I mean, all these play, plays that are in 6,000 that I frankly think have 
better upside for their DK points than Shea does for his, I'm probably just going to be set and avoid most of these guys altogether. Can't fault you, my man. We'll go on to the sixth game. Denver Nuggets traveling to Sacramento, taking on the Kings. This is a 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time game. Uh, no injury report yet submitted for either team. Uh, but as we know, for Denver, uh, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., both those guys still remain out. Those are only real guys, I guess, we really need to talk about over there. And then for Sacramento, we know that Terrence Davis is out. I believe Donovan Mitchell is being considered probable. Uh, they said he is ready to go, so we can expect him to be back in the lineup over there. We'll see if Vegas has anything for us right now. It is a 229 game total, and the spread at the moment has Denver favored by five. I will pass it over to you. Jokic coming in at 12-5, the most expensive player on the slate. Could you pay that price tag? Absolutely. There's no uh, not paying that price tag when it comes with the Jokic, but it's it just comes down to how the rest of your lineup is looking because the reality is he'll probably be able to get somewhere close to 5x just given not only how well he's been playing, but how consistently he absolutely smoked Sacramento uh, earlier in the year as well. Dropped 66k points on him in that one too. And really it was a pretty normal performance by Jokic standards. Yeah, he shot 13 of 20 in that one, but you know, 33, 10 and seven, really not that unexpected for Jokic to do consistently given just how monstrous he has been. And his rebounding totals have continued to go up in the last uh, couple of weeks now consistently hitting in the high, you know, high teens as far as his rebounds are concerned. So that's great as far as his uh, floor is concerned. But look, he's going to be, I'm going to say the number one DFS guy just consistently outside of Giannis, as long as he's playing uh, his uh, full allotment of minutes. This game total is likely going to you know, give more credence to that as well. 229 is a pretty good spot. Sacramento, as always, is going to be a run-and-gun kind of team. And frankly, they've been playing pretty well since that uh, entire trade happened for them. It's probably made their team a little bit more balanced, even though it's probably taken some of their upside away by giving away a Halliburton and, and keeping Fox. I don't think they had much choice there, but that's what happened. So yeah, Jokic is 100% in play um, at 12,500. If I'm going there, then I likely have to go with more of the uh, mid-tier guys that we've spoken about earlier. So just keep that in mind. But by and large, the rest of the uh, entire Denver lineup, other than the odd Aaron Gordon game, which I've found myself taking just because you know, he's been consistently not only playing well for the whole season, but in general, finding himself with uh, that offense more so than Will Barton as of late. So it's been kind of a passing of the guard kind of quietly. Will Barton's become less involved with the offense. It's been Aaron Gordon that's become the second option on that team. So I think at 5,600, that's a place to look at as well. But beyond that, I'm I'm good with the Denver Nuggets. I think you said it well, my friend. I will, as of right now, I think I will be spending up on Jokic at 12.5. I just have the money because you talked about it. Those mid-tier guys are who I'm primarily targeting. I think outside of Jokic, the most expensive guy I was interested in was Devin Booker at 8,800. We have plenty of value, especially coming in that last game. We've talked about, you know, possibly that guard position in Cleveland as well for some more value, where I don't see myself struggling to get there. Now, the only reason I wouldn't get there is because I'm playing two other centers, because I talked about Aiton, I talked about Capella. I think those these three centers are all going to be the three guys I end up having the most shares of, and it's just going to be playing probably Jokic and mixing and matching one of those other two guys in there. Now, we that simple. I don't think I'll go to anybody else. I know you talked about a little bit. I usually love targeting a shooting guard going against the Kings, but they don't have a traditional shooting guard on this team at the moment. Now, if Gary Harris was still there five years ago, like he was, that would probably be the guy I'd be interested in as well. But they don't have a traditional shooting guard uh, who's just going to kind of be sitting in camping behind the three-point line, taking advantage of that defense. So don't think I'll be doing that today. Uh, on the Sacramento side of things, Sabonis coming down to 9K. I do like Sabonis. Um, I do like him in this matchup. 
at 9K. He is the one other guy in that you know 8 to 9K range that I have interested. Probably the most expensive guy outside of Booker and Jokic that I would consider. So good with Sabonis. Don't mind looking at him one bit outside of him, though. I don't mind the 8-3 on Fox. The dude looks like he's a new reborn player ever since they traded Halliburton. I think that's a very, very fair price tag. If anything, it's probably a little too cheap. He should probably should probably be, what, 85, 8,600 with how well he's been playing. So I wouldn't fault you if you wanted to go there. Just don't know how many guard spots I'm going to have left knowing I'm probably playing Booker and I'm probably going to play some value guys as well. So you can go that way. Maybe go Booker and Fox, point guard, shooting guard. Don't mind that. Uh, but those would be the, really the only two guys I'm considering now that they had just have a hodgepodge amount of guards with Mitchell, with Holiday, uh, with DiVincenzo, Jeremy Lamb, like all these guys. It's just who's going to get it each and every night? It, it's, it depends. I mean, I don't, I can't trust any of them at this point. Um, DiVincenzo, don't kind of pay attention to those past two games with the minutes and everything like that. Like I said, uh, we are expecting Donovan, or I'm sorry, Davion Mitchell to be back in this one. So the minutes will probably take a small hit. And I, I imagine those two guys chop them up right around that 22 to 24 minute mark between the both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with, uh, with the Jeremy lamb being questionable, we'll have to find out what happens there as well, because if that happens, then just makes it like a three-way chop up between them. And as much as I think that, you know, DiVincenzo is probably not the guy they're focused too much on. It's Davion Mitchell and Jeremy lamb being the younger guys, being the ones that have a little bit more upside to them. And they'll probably end up playing more as the, as the season kind of wears down because they are gunning hard for that playing spot. That's pretty much everything that Sacramento's done has been to try to get as much postseason basketball as possible. So you know that's going to mean more Sabonis, more Fox, more Barnes, pretty much a short, tight rotation to try and win as many games as possible. So I do love those price tags in general. Uh, Sabonis is pretty much pretty much a mini Jokic, man. So in most in matchups that favor him, especially something like this in which it's really just Jokic on the other side and he can go to work with some of the other undersized uh, forwards that they have on the Denver Nuggets. As you said, 9000 I think, is a great price tag to be able to go ahead and take advantage of that. De'Aaron Fox as well. You said not great defense on the other end as far as the point guard situation is concerned. As much as Denver has been a pretty good team defensively, one-on-one against opposing point guards, they have had their struggles. De'Aaron Fox is going to be able to beat them on the fast break and at uh, his 8000 ish price tag. I think that upside to be able to drop a 50 DK point night is not so far away. And yeah, they're definitely going to be in play for me. And I'm going to leave the uh, Mitchell DiVincenzo and uh, potentially Jeremy Lamb situation far away until I figure out what they're doing. All right. Final game of the night. Golden State Warriors traveling to Portland, taking on the Blazers. No injury report just yet. But as we talked about, we know that Nurkic is the newest addition to that uh, to that injury report. Uh, but Golden State is favored by six points at the moment. And this game is coming in at a 223 game total. I will pass it over to you. Talk about the Warriors. We know that Draymond is remains out. I wouldn't expect Iguodala to play a big role, if anything, because he's just been on and off as far as his games on and off. Um, they want to keep him fresh and healthy for playoffs. But Curry at 10-2, are you considering it? It's definitely a point of consideration as far as Steph Curry is concerned. But as you said, there's just so many studs uh, that are cheaper for what they could do. Like a Devin Booker at 8,800 is probably going to drop more raw DK points than a Steph Curry would in this kind of a matchup. I don't expect Portland, especially with Nurkic out, to really be able to mount too, too much of a fight. So I'm not too interested in being able to take the high price guys here. Uh, Clay Thompson's pretty appropriately priced for his minutes total now. You know he can go off and g- grab you 40 DK points on any given night, but just 
less uh, less likely to want to take him on this slate given the other mid-tier guys that are there. So that kind of moves me down into Jonathan Kaminga. And again, uh, power forward eligibility, that's always nice, 4,500. And he has been consistently in that mid to high 20s as far as his minutes total is concerned. That's really all you need for him to be able to hit that total on most nights. And just given the fact that if the game is a blowout, he'd probably be the one holdover from their main guys that'll keep getting to play in that time just so he continues to get his exposure, get himself ready for the postseason as well. You know, his first shot to be able to play there, so he wants to get as much under his legs as possible. So sign me up for Kaminga at 4,500, and uh, by and large, I'll avoid the rest of these guys. Yep, I think I'm right there with you. I think Kaminga and Looney were the only two guys I had any interest in. Uh, this is actually like a fantastic matchup for Looney, as much as I hate to say it. Uh, he's 4,400. He's averaging 22 DK points in 18 and a half minutes against his team in two games. And both those games, Draymond did play in. So you imagine we could probably expect closer to 25 minutes. Now, with that being said, there is no Nurkic, so they're not going to necessarily need the size as much. Uh, but I think that's a little too cheap for a guy that he makes sense in cash. Um, we're going to get to another value guy that should be playing center for this team on the other side of the ball. But I don't, I'm not going to just rule them out of my player pool. If I happen to land on them, maybe I want to be a little contrarian. I don't mind looking at those two guys. And I'm not playing Steph. I already said that. I'm going to probably go to some of these other spend-up guys. Wouldn't fault you for Clay. On the Portland side of the ball, yeah, we're going to we're gonna have some value, obviously. No Nurkic, no Lillard, no Little, no Dennis Smith Jr., no Eric Bledsoe, no Cody Zeller. Now, that does not leave many bodies left. And who I expect to draw the center start would be Greg Brown at 3,200. He only has power forward eligibility on DK, but that is perfectly fine. We like that because we just talked about how many centers that we do like on this slate. So we can still manage to squeeze him in there at 3,200, eat the chalk, I think, in this kind of spot. he's He should just get the majority of the minutes over there. So uh, he's probably going to be my main focus and my main target. I think Simons and Josh Hart are both priced appropriately at this point where would I fault you for going there? No, I wouldn't, but I'd probably rather play like a guy like Darren Fox over Simons. Um Again, wouldn't fault you. The kid looks great. He's playing fantastic. Uh, and then Winslow at 6,100. He's a decent price point, decent play. Uh, he's been very consistent, hitting that 30-point mark pretty much every game that he's been drawn to start at power forward. So I think when it's all said and done, I'll just target the front court with a little bit of Winslow and then a ton of Greg Brown. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, the Greg Brown call is interesting as well. We'll have to see how they actually go, end up going because you have to keep in mind Trent Watford or Trendin Watford. I have to remember that name. Uh, he literally just signed a four-year deal with them during this uh, during this All-Star break, in which you know they decided that they wanted to get rid of his two-way contract, sign him to a four-year, six million dollar deal, and he is literally their only like real traditional center that's left on this lineup. So I'm interested to see if he gets the opportunity to start. And with this time with the Nurkic out, and if so, I'm interested in seeing what he has to offer in that sense. You've seen a little bit of his upside in the uh, in the previous game uh, against Milwaukee, where he played 23 minutes there, showed that he has the capability to rack up boards in a hurry. So it's just uh, it's all about who gets the opportunity to start there. But I think at that price tag, if he does, he's definitely going to be a big guy in play for me. And Justice Winslow, uh, just as you said, he's been so consistent since he arrived on Portland. His price is still adjusting to the fact that he is pretty much a lock to get anywhere between 33 to 35 DK points every night now. So I think until that happens, you can still take a little bit of advantage of that price arbitrage. But yeah, the upside is obviously not the same, given the fact that this Golden State team is likely going to just run them out of the building. Yeah, I like that you mentioned Watford too, a guy that kind of flew right under my radar. Um, play him at the utility spot, whoever it is. And if we get the news, which we obviously eventually will, 
uh, you could easily make that late swap. So as much as you might want to play Greg Brown at power four to get two centers uh, in your single entries, that might not be the smartest way to go. You might have to slide them down there at utility, leave yourself the extra $200 wiggle room. That way, if we do see Watford is drawing the start, you can easily make that late swap really fast. Uh, but that brings us to our next part, my friend. We're going to be looking at a player tier segment. I will give you the floor. I'm a gentleman. You go first. Expensive tier. Yeah, and we, we spoke about the fact that you know the absolute stud of studs is probably going to be a guy that everyone's able to pay up for. But I'm just going to go ahead and say that Devin Booker is going to be my guy as far as the expensive tier is concerned. I think he has the greatest upside as far as his current price tag is concerned. Uh, just I expect a raw 50 DK points game from him, just given the fact that he is going to be pure point guard on this team that's missing every other major ball handler. Probably get to see if he can work a little bit more with uh, a DeAndre Ayton, get a few more assists under his belt with that sense. But in general, he's going to be a guy who's going to shoot anywhere between 20 to 25 times alongside more point guard duties. Sign me up. I like it. Well, uh, we'll just take Jokic right out, I guess, then. So, obviously, I think we both love him. Uh, I'll go with Sabonis at 9K. The guy going against him in the front court. Uh, just love that price tag. It's too cheap for Sabonis. He's getting more acclimated in this offense. I think they're going to need a big offensive game from him. And you said it perfectly. He's very Jokic light, where we know that we're going to get assists, boards, points, a little bit of everything. So I think he's a great piece to kind of uh, tailor make your lineup with, especially now that we might not be able to play Greg Brown and power forward because we don't have that news. So uh, slot him in. I'm good with him. And then your mid-tier play, 5-2-7-9. Who are you looking at? And said, there's just so many viable plays here that I don't think you can go wrong with a number of them. But I'm going to go ahead and stick with the first game that we spoke about in the night. I think Evan Mobley at 7,000 is just in a brilliant matchup for him to just continue to go on the tear that he has been. He's going to be required to be even more involved as far as his field goal attempts are concerned, given the fact that their two major offensive pieces are sitting out on that night. Uh, there aren't that many... Uh, guys who can shoot otherwise, but there are a number of guys still on this team that can pass. So I expect a Rondo, a Goodwin, all these guys to be able to feed Mobley a little bit more inside, get him a little bit more involved with the offense against the Detroit team that outside of a beef stew really don't have the size or frankly the lateral speed to be able to handle a unicorn like an Evan Mobley. So 7K, sign me up for him as my mid-tier dude. I was stuck between the two centers I've been talking about all night long, Capella and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I will likely just lean Aiton because he's safer. Now, I am going to still have plenty of shares of Capella. I am saying that now. Put that on the record. If it burns me, it burns me. I'm okay with that. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking for a little somebody a little bit safer, I think Aiton in this matchup against OKC, I think we're going to see a lot more plays drawn up for him, knowing that they can't just run pick and roll with Chris Paul anymore. Uh, they're going to need to get their offense kind of manufactured the old-fashioned way, and that is going to be good ball movement, and that is going to be letting their young stud center go to work against an OKC team that has been absolutely dreadful against opposing center. So he should be able to eat. The guy put up over 40 DK points earlier in the year against his team, 6,900, a little bit too cheap for him. So I will roll with Mr. Ayton, and then I will pass it over to you for your value play. And speaking of rolling with it and uh... – eating the pain if it doesn't happen. I'm sticking with my Jaden McDaniels pick. I think in general, just Minnesota is seeing the value in playing more of Jaden McDaniels, a guy who can play so many different positions and has the capability to stretch the floor, even though his three-point shot has been a little wonky as of late. But in general, 
his versatility is finding himself in more lineups, in more different positions, and his stocks are going up as a result too. So, you know, you can pretty much lock him down to have at least a block and a steal a game. And if he can stay on the floor, he'll probably get close to seven to eight rebounds as well. So it's really just about his uh, shot attempts and those have been trending the right way. Sign me up for a little bit of Jaden. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, I was stuck between the two guys. So I'll give a couple, a couple caveats here because whoever starts center for Portland, I want him. Um, we don't know who it's going to be just yet, but I want him. So if there's one, whether it is Greg Brown or whether it's Wofford, uh, I'm good with whoever starts. And then I think looking at Rondo, uh, I think he's a very comfortable price tag, but it's also about, you know, if Goodwin starts, I'll probably end up having more shares of Goodwin and Rondo will be the pivot off of him in tournaments where I still think Rondo has the capability of having a fantastic game, whether he starts or comes off the bench. Uh, but Rondo, as of right now, 3,900, I have a ton of interest in him as well, knowing that going against a poor Detroit team, they might want his defense a little bit more than Goodwin's going against Cade, going against a little bit of more size out there in that backcourt. So, Sign me up. That is where I am going. And then for our Thrive Fantasy Picks, there are a lot of good options here, my friend, tonight. I think I know where you're going to go, so I'll let you take the floor. But I have a feeling you're going to go with the over on Devin Booker's rebounds and assists for 105. (laughs) Well, you sure you aren't a wizard? But yes, I was going to talk about (laughs) Devin Booker on there. But on the other end, I will go ahead and say I do still like Josh Giddy for his 22 and a half as far as points and assists are concerned. Obviously, his uh, triple-double upside has taken a little bit of a beating with the return of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but just in general, given the fact that Lou Dort is out, I expect his shot totals to still be up, and I wouldn't be surprised if he beats that 22 and a half just on his points himself with a couple of those assists sprinkled in. All right. Well, yeah, Booker will take off the table. I think we both absolutely love that Booker, uh, that Booker line, but... It's a fantastic line. I mean, we know the dude's going to be handling the ball and just dishing them out left and right. Probably end up, I, I imagine he gets somewhere between that six and eight assist mark uh, just on that alone, throwing a couple of rebounds. That feels like a Sherlock. All right, I'll go um, I'll go DeAndre Ayton, 26.5 points plus rebounds. Only going to get you 95, but I feel extremely comfortable with that, uh, knowing that he's going to, I think he's going to take on a lot more. You know, some people might instantly think, well, there's no more pick and roll. It's going to hurt him. Uh, Aiton is an old school kind of center mentality where now they kind of have to beat him into the paint. And I I love this matchup for him. So I'll go with him. Nice little chalky one with both those sons, guys. Sign me up. And that is it, my friend. That brings us home. That is every segment, every game, every Thrive pick that we were interested in. Uh, Not every Thrive pick, but our top ones. Uh, That is everything. And we did it all in 53 minutes. So a nice long show for people coming out of the All-Star break. We, we're, we're back on the grind here. So, as always, give us a follow on Twitter, at Patria, M-I-K-E-A-P-O-T-R-I-A. You can find Harris at H-A-K underscore devil. That is H-A-K underscore D-E-V-I-L. Give us a thumbs up, five stars, subscribe, wherever you listen to this, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, you name it, it's there. We have it all over the place. So, always greatly appreciated. And then, Harris, is there anything else you would like to leave us with before we get on out of here? I'll only leave them with the uh, idea that I am now going to finally get to go back to the uh, Scotiabank Arena. The Raptors are finally opening up for the home games coming in as of the first week of March. So going to get a little bit more live NBA basketball because at this point, I swear I was like giving myself itches and just missing it. The good thing is, though, they pretty much covered our entire um uh, our entire money for the games that were missed. And I actually have like extra credit that's going to go towards a potential playoff run. So at least I don't have to pay more for it and we'll get to see more meaningful basketball. So glad to have that back on. 
Uh, who are you kidding, man? You know you're hitting that beer stand and the in the merch stands and the merch stores a little harder. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. Can't go wrong with those foam fingers, my friend. Can't go wrong with them. Actually, every time I go to a Dallas game, they have the the horse head. And uh, as dumb as I'd look with that thing on, I, I contemplated it at least for a good five to ten minutes. And then after my fourth or fifth beer, maybe there, uh, I'm, I'm literally I'm like I'm in line with this thing with my debit card in hand. And then I get convinced by my girlfriend to go put that thing away that she is not going to get seen with me on the Jumbotron with that thing. So Love it. one of these days, man, one of these days. Yeah, I'm going to be more boring. I need to grab the Scotty Barnes jersey, but uh, it always seems to be out of stock every time I go. So hopefully with this uh, month plus off, they got some back in because I want that city edition jersey. Oh, the city edition jerseys are dope. Uh, I want, yeah, I've been meaning to get a Luca one with uh, what's it, the white and gold? Yeah, I, that I always see people walking around the stadium with them, and I'm a little jealous because I got my plain old boring uh, home home jersey for them. But uh, one of these days, man, I gotta get the horse hat first, and then we will talk about the city edition. But thank you guys, as always. Uh, we appreciate the listen, we appreciate you tuning in putting us through your ear holes in the airwaves. We will be back tomorrow. It will be Dave Menkoff, Santino Cocon. They'll be crushing that Friday slate for you guys. As always, take care, and let's go take down a GPP. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.